When I was a young man, uh, my father, uh, I said something that caused my father to grab me by the neck, drag me into the bathroom, cut off a piece of soap, take that soap and put it in my mouth, and then make me chew and swallow the soap. Now, at some point in his life, he said something that caused his father <laughs> to take him by the, by the neck, drag him into the bathroom, cut off a piece of the bar of soap, and then make him chew and swallow that soap. Now, none of my children, none of my children have had to have their mouths washed out with soap. I feel bad for them. Because one of the things it does for you is that it cements for you at a very early age that you simply cannot say certain things. You can't. And even though it's 2018, that's still true. And if, if they'll put my pictures up here for the, for the message, um, in 2018, it's still the case that you can't say certain things. You can't. Um, you can't say them, you can't tweet them, you can't post them on Facebook, and if you do, you could lose your job, you could lose your job, it could end your career, and it could end some friendships. And if you don't believe me, um, ask John Schnatter, chairman, our very own Kentucky's own John Schnatter, chairman of the board of Papa John's. He said something that cost him everything. One word, he's done. And so the irony, of course, is that what was considered blasphemous 50 years ago is acceptable today. What was acceptable 50 years ago is blasphemous today. Blasphemy, by the way, is simply speaking sacrilegiously. And I'm gonna tell you that even in an American culture that does not have God part of what happens in the public square, there are some sacred topics. And there are some things you simply cannot say because they are sacred, it's taboo, right? And so you can blaspheme today. I wanna to list off some things. Uh, blasphemy today is defined by sexist, racist comments, and, and rightly so. Uh, Blasphemy today is defined by insisting that Star Wars 1, 2, and 3, made in 1999, is better than Star Wars 4, 5, and 6, made in 1977. Blasphemy today is saying, you know, UK football is every bit as good, every bit as good as UK basketball. Blasphemy, blasphemy. Blasphemy today is stating and posting on Facebook Donald Trump is the greatest president ever. Or blasphemy is posting on Facebook, Donald Trump is not my president, worst president ever. Blasphemy, blasphemy, right? So today, the funny thing about today is that everything is fair game, everything is fair game, and nothing is off limits. And if you don't believe me, just watch TV, watch TV, and everything's fair game, and nothing is off limits. Now, we're in the middle of a series on the Ten Commandments, Again, which tell us what it means to be fully human and which tell us what kind of God that God is. And today, we're on the third commandment. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. In other words, don't take the Lord's name in vain. That's how many of us heard that as kids. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. 
I wanna say to you today that the third commandment is more than just bleeping words. (laughs) The, The third commandment is more than just bleeping words. It is, okay? And so if you grew up in church, you were probably taught you don't take the Lord's name by swearing, don't swear, don't, don't use profanity, uh, showing irreverence. Um, so uh, when you hit your uh, thumb with a hammer, you say, Jesus Christ, no, that's bad, you shouldn't do that. Or when you're mad at somebody, you say, God damn you, as if you can tell God who to send to eternal damnation or not, and God's gonna somehow, based on your anger, et cetera, et cetera, right? So, Uh, taking the Lord's name in vain was showing irreverence. And then the last thing we were told as kids is that um, it was bad to promise make using God's name. In other words, I swear on a stack of Bibles and and then lie, right? No bueno. And so those are the things that we were told as kids. I, there's more going on in this commandment than just that. Does it include that? Yes. But there's more there. And I wanna unpack that. So I wanna look at Exodus chapter 20. And then after, in, after Exodus 20, I wanna look at someone who violated this commandment in the Old Testament, and then an entire family who violated this commandment in the New Testament. Okay, and so Exodus chapter 20, verse seven, you must not you misuse, you must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. For some of you, this may be entirely new, but did you know that God actually has a name? Did you know that? God has a name. Every time in the Old Testament that you see Lord or the Lord in all capital letters, that's God's name. Uh, And it comes from four Hebrew letters which transliterated are Y-H-W-H, Theologians call it the Tetragrammaton. Um, if you were to say it, we, we guess it would be pronounced Yahweh. We're not sure because the Jews would never say the name out loud. Uh, so translated, it simply means I am who I am. We didn't come up with this, all right? In Exodus chapter three, verses 13 through 15, This is God reveals his name to us. But Moses protested, if I go to the people of Israel and tell them the God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they'll ask, what's his name? Then what should I tell them? And God replied to Moses, I am who I am. Say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to be remembered for all generations. God's true name is chosen and revealed by God himself. We don't tell God who he is. God tells us who he is. Now the Jews, again, they wouldn't wouldn't say this name. In fact, they would substitute Adonai instead of Yahweh. Adonai simply means my Lord. Um, In fact, only the high priest would say God's name one time a year inside the temple or the tabernacle on the Day of Atonement, that's it. Jewish scribes, when they were writing and copying the scriptures, when they would come upon the name, they would stop, put their stylus or whatever down and then say a special prayer before writing the name. That's how seriously they took it. Now, 
I'm gonna give you a, st a stat. God's name appears nearly 7,000 times in the Old Testament. The issue isn't using God's name. That's not the issue. The issue is misusing God's name. God doesn't want his name to be used in empty, frivolous, insincere ways because from God's perspective, when we're not taking his name seriously, we're not taking him seriously. And God wants to be taken seriously. Does it have to do with bad language? Sure. Does it have to do with irreverence? Yes. Does it have to do with promise keeping and swearing to God that what you're saying is true even though you're lying through your teeth? Yes. But again, there's so much more than that. There's so much more than that. The best way that we can make sense of it, I think as Americans, is by our use of trademarks. What if God's name was trademarked? Now, Apple, Apple has 241 rows of trademarked words. If you wanna call something an air this, Apple's already got it locked down. If you wanna call something, I'm married to my iWife, <clears throat> Apple's got I anything pretty much locked down, right? So, and Apple will send you a cease and desist letter if you try and use their trademarked names. Uh, Disney is great about this. Uh, in fact, the Disney company in the last couple of years has actually sued and won in court two lawsuits against people that were infringing on their trademark material. One was a guy who custom makes cufflinks and he was making Darth Vader cufflinks. He is really sorry he did that today. He is really sorry. There's a lady in Florida that out of edible frosting was making cakes with Iron Man. I don't know if you know this, but Disney now owns Marvel Comics. Disney sued and she's really, really, really sorry that she ever made Iron Man in frosting because Disney wasn't gonna have it. Well, there's that phrase, the Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. So what's going on here? Uh, in Leviticus chapter 24, there's an account of someone who misuses God's name. And you can read it there if you want. But what happens is a fight breaks out between two Israelites. And one of them is half Egyptian and the other, both their parents are, are Israelites, they're Hebrews. And they get into a kerfuffle. And the guy who's half Egyptian says, hmm, we don't know. But whatever he says, everybody who's watching the fight doing the whole fight, 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 all of a sudden now it's a game changer and they're like, whoa. They drag him, there's a consultation with the Lord and he's stoned to death. Like, really? This happens? Like, what is the, I mean, it seems kind of harsh, doesn't it? They're getting into a fight and he's stoned to death for something that comes out of his mouth? Yeah. I mean, that's almost as draconian as Disney, isn't it? Like, Disney's pretty bad. <laughs> In Psalm 106, God says this, even though he saved them to defend the honor of his name. Uh, Psalm 111.9, he has paid a full ransom for his people. What a holy, all-inspiring name he has. Ezekiel 36, I am bringing you back, not because you deserve it. I'm going to protect my holy name on which you brought shame. I'll show you how holy and great my name is. In the New Testament, something else goes down. So Paul, when he would preach the gospel in towns, he would 
often heal people. And apparently handkerchiefs that he had used to wipe the sweat off of his forehead, somebody would, I'm healed, touch the handkerchief. So if you ever wondered why the guys from Texas get that idea, that's where they get it in scripture, <laughs> okay? And, and so these seven brothers decide, you know what? We're gonna work a little magic. We're gonna use this name and we're gonna get some fame for ourselves and maybe a little coin in our pocket and we're gonna go out and in the power of the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I compel you. And what happens is they go and they try and cast out some demons and the demons say to these seven brothers, now Jesus we know, Paul we know, but who are you? And they get the tar beat out of them by these demon possessed people, like tail between their legs, the whole nine yards. And this is what it says. A solemn fear descended on the city and the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that interesting? A few chapters earlier, something else goes down. Apparently, uh, rich people in the church were liquidating, they were selling extra property that they had and they were taking 100% of the proceeds of the sale and bringing it into the church so that the church could help widows, the church could help poorer members. I know it's fantastical to think of today, but it, it really was going down in the first century. And so a couple named Ananias and Sapphira, they had some property too, and so they sell this property, they get the money, and for whatever reason, they decide that they don't wanna give all of it. They just wanna give some of it. And so they go in and they present the money as though it's 100% of what they got. In other words, they were lying to the church. And in a sense, as, as they're told, they were lying to God. And both of them dropped dead in, in this. This is in the New Testament, by the way. Are you amazed by this stuff in the New Testament as I am? You were thinking, well, wait a minute. That sounds more like Charlton Heston, Old Testament stuff. What's this doing after Jesus? You know, meek and mild, Jesus loves everybody. What is this doing after the death and resurrection of Jesus? Like, what's going on here? God cares about his name, his reputation, and God wants to be taken seriously. God really wants to be taken seriously. Great fear gripped the entire church and everyone else who heard what had happened. In other words, Acts 5.11, and Acts 5, uh, yeah, Acts 5.11 is telling us, wow, I gotta take God seriously. This is important. It's a matter of life and death. In light of these passages, I would ask you what I've asked myself on a scale of one to five, how seriously in any given week am I taking God? Is God even a big factor in what goes on in the week? How seriously am I taking God in any given week? And then secondly, is my life marked by the name of God? In other words, because of how I live, because of the virtues that characterize my life, are other people simply coming to the conclusion, man, that Mike, he's with Jesus, he reeks of Jesus, they may or may not like that, but boy, they can count you among the Jesus people. So how do you take something home like this, right? I always try to have sermons that are practical, right? So first of all, the obvious, and then the, 
The second part is what I would call the not so obvious. The obvious is we had a saying when we were kids, be careful little mouth what you say. Some of the older folks are like, I remember that, yes, okay. There's truth in that. Be careful little mouth what you say. Just watch your language. I've been convicted. I'm not a swearer, but I will sometimes say what are considered okay swear words <laughs> that can be on primetime television. Um, so watch your language. Be careful little mouth what you say. And then the not so obvious, and these are four take home points from Albert Moeller, who's a great Baptist thinker in our age. Um, and he uses big Albert Moeller words, but I'll explain those to me and you, because I was like, what? Okay, manipulative God talk. That's like, what? Be careful when you approach somebody with a, God told me to tell you, God told me to tell you. So. Uh, theologians, the way they state it is, we dare not speak when God has not spoken. We take seriously God. And so if, if you feel prompted to talk to somebody and you're wanting to confront a behavior or an attitude, instead of God told me to tell you, you might wanna say, hey, I really think you should rethink X. I think you should really slow down here. Would you pray about this and see what God says to you? Or if you're wanting to pass along a blessing, you know, instead of God told me to tell you, another way to go about it is, you know, God's really laid you on my heart. I've been, God's brought you to mind a lot and I want you to know how amazing you are. See the difference there? So it's not so much a thus saith the Lord. So manipulative God talk. Um, and then he has another one. We should avoid redu reductionistic theology. Again, we talked about this last week. Anytime any of us says, well, you know, I like to think of God as a giant teddy bear <laughs> or, or whatever it is. Like usually what follows, I like to think of God as our own take on God. And we sometimes, because it's our take on God, we're focused on the parts that really jazz us and the parts that don't interest us or we don't like, we kind of kick off to the side. Um, I was at an event with other pastors this week and they were refer some of them were referring to God as mother. Now, God is spirit. God is spirit. The Bible tells me God is spirit. Um, that means God is not a man. God is not a woman. Um, when you read scripture, you find that there are characteristics of God that we tend to define as being male or we tend to define as being female and God has both. So you could say that God is both male and female or God is neither male or female. But like, I won't refer to God as mother simply because when Jesus said, when you pray, say our father. So I, in other words, I'm, I'm caught, I won't reduce, I won't, re, you know, reductionist theology. I won't put my preferences in view of how God has chosen to reveal himself, even though sometimes that causes me a lot of angst, okay? The, the third thing is triumphalistic piety. Um, this is where, this is basically where we tend to use God as a mascot. You know, God is my co-pilot, my life coach. Um, when you have the t-shirts, this blood's for you, get it? This blood's for you, you know, and so, when we're treating God as more or less a mascot to our cause or causes, are we really taking God with the seriousness that he wants to be taken? In a sense, as a matter of life and death, right? Because 
Jesus came to conquer death, all of us are gonna die, this is a big deal. Um, and then lastly, uh, Albert Moeller says, another way that we can misuse God's name is in superficial worship. And this is what he writes, he says, the horizon of our worship is simply too low. We welcome God to our services as if he's a guest. We take the Lord's name in vain in our superficial worship and our worship betrays us, demonstrating what we genuinely believe. When we worship, our prayers, sermons, and songs all reveal what we genuinely believe. We should be required to listen to ourselves, he says. So the third commandment is more than just words. It's more than just words. It's more than just bleeping words. It's about taking God seriously. Um, and so I get this to a small degree. When I think about the worst possible scenario for my life sometimes, it's not cancer, it's not getting hit by a bus. I mean, it's not any of those things. It would be to be falsely accused of something and lose my reputation. That would be devastating. I would be madder than a hornet on the one hand and devastated on the other. And if I feel that way as this pibsqueak guy from Nicholas Vale, Kentucky, then God who has a great name, I get some of the ferocity that he has in guarding his name and his reputation. Ironically, at the end, uh, at the end of human history, uh, Jesus uh, mentioned something about the misuse of God's name, and it's found in Matthew chapter seven. And I just wanna read this passage. Uh, Matthew chapter seven, verses 21 uh, through 23. And I might have this, yeah. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied, what? In your name, and cast out demons, what? In your name and perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. So it's not just when, when it comes to this misusing God's name, if I could get you to see any part, it's really taking God seriously, meaning it's who we are and how we live, not just what we say. It's bigger than that. And the good news is God who has revealed himself in scripture is the same one that we see embodied in the person of Jesus Christ who because of his great love for us lived the life that we should be living, died the death that we deserve and when we put our confidence and our trust in him and him only then this whole sweating, remember Obeying the Ten Commandments isn't what makes you acceptable in God's sight. What makes you acceptable in God's sight is what Jesus did on your behalf. Obeying the ten, when we walk in obedience for what God has for us, in a sense, all we're doing is saying, thank you, God, thank you. <laughs>